Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of quarantine. As always, I am your host, Tim, and joining me as ever today via the wonders of the modern miracle we have come to know as Zoom video conferencing, I have Lavelle and Carlo. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Tim. Hey, guys. So Zoom has become like my bread and butter in the last three weeks, of course. You know, I'm doing a little online teaching via this platform. I've been doing all of my exercising via this platform. It's been, I've had this headset on for like 12 hours a day, it seems like, for the last couple of days. It's, it's been a little intense, all this Zooming but not actually going anywhere that I've been doing. It's actually really funny. I never draw drew that connection there. <laughs> you don't got to Zoom anywhere. <laughs> Can we talk about for a minute the fact that... Uh, Lavelle's calling us on like a rotary phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> With Dala. It's, it's, it's a culture clash. It's a technological culture clash. Yes. It's like that time when I was in college, I had, I had uh, hooked up an RF adapter so I could play PlayStation 2 games on this ancient old kitchen TV that was like UHF and VHF antenna. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did it work? It worked perfectly. It was totally badass. Yeah, it was super tiny, but it was the only TV I had at the time, and I really wanted to hook up a PlayStation 2 to it. Those games actually looked better on those TVs because they were so small. Like, <laughs> like it, you know, the graphics still weren't as good yet. To Like, if you go and you play PlayStation 2 on a flat screen now, it's going to look terrible because it stretches everything out. I was, like, upscaling yeah. way ahead of my time. Yeah. <laughs> or, or downscaling <laughs> in that case, yeah. Um, cool. So we've all been on quarantine. Stay-at-home order is still in effect in the greater Philadelphia area and in most parts of the United States of America here as of this Friday, April 10th, 2020. Um, Poses some interesting quandaries for those of us that do enjoy getting together and playing tabletop war games in person with one another. Um, but we've found some interesting ways around it almost that we're going to talk about in uh, section two of the show. And we're going to combine sections three and four, which is usually tactical upload and future history. We're going to squash those together, or sorry, future history and from the stacks. We're going to squash those together and talk about uh, some stuff we've been reading and watching and enjoying. Let's kick it off as we always do with hobby progress. Being at home, you would think we would have a, a good, ample opportunity to do some solid hobby or make some solid hobby progress, as it were. Carlo, let me ask you, what have you been doing? Um, I don't want to disappoint our listeners yet again, but I have been doing non-Warhammer-related stuff. So I've been building... Gundam. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so I took, uh, I took the opportunity over the weekend to build uh, two... And I've had... Basically, my hobby area looks like everybody else's, where there's a buildup of plastic just kind of accumulating in corners until it gets until it like consumes you and you drown in it right you know <laughs> it overtakes your house one level at a time and then your spouse is yelling at you and then you know so i got to the point where i had to start like digging through that and preventing it from reaching the second floor and uh i had a stack of gundam kits that were piling up in the corner of my hobby space so i started building those and i built um i think i had talked about it on the last episode i had built the wing zero uh, which is from Gundam Wing. And then over the weekend, I built the Epion Master Grade box that I had, which is actually my favorite. Um, and then I had built also the Mobile Suit Leo, which is one of like kind of the grunt mobile suits in the same show. Um, that's like the, the cannon fodder red shirt version of a mobile suit in Gundam Wing. 
So, and that was a high grade version. And there's a difference um, for people that don't do Gundam modeling. There's a big difference between the grades. Um, as you go up, there's, I think there's four grades, but it, uh, real grade, high grade, master grade and perfect grade. And the higher grade you go, obviously it's more expensive, uh, but there's a lot more parts involved and the Gundam kits are usually fully articulating. So um well, you might think like like the master grades. I think traditionally around eighty five to a hundred dollars, but you can get them from Gundam online stores, and sometimes in the store, uh, usually at a discounted price for around fifty five. And that's a really, I think, a really good deal for a kit like that because there's usually like seven, maybe seven to ten sprues in there for a master grade kit that are around probably eleven by eight inches, like all. All of those are, are parts, and they're all color coded. So you can, um, uh, if you wanted to, if you're someone who doesn't, who wants to make a beautifully painted model but really doesn't want to spend a lot of time on it, they're they're broken down by color. So you can just like prime. If you're like, I, I usually don't paint on sprue, but if you're someone who just wants to do it real quick, you just spray right on the sprue, and all all those those uh, parts that are the same color, you could paint them all at one time. So it makes it really easy. Um, Obviously, you won't be able to get like lighting effect that way. But if you're just someone who wants to wants to just get it done and put it up on your shelf, then you know that's a really easy way to do it. Um, there's uh, the between the two kits, I really um, I really enjoyed like how quickly I was able to as assemble the easier Leo kit, which was a high grade because it was just like two or three spurs, uh, and it still has a lot of mobility in the kit. You can bend its arms, you can swivel its wrists, you can. Uh, it rotates at the shoulder joints, at the hip, and at the uh, knees and ankles. Um, the head does not rotate on that kit, um, unfortunately. But uh, on the uh, Epion, like everything rotates. The only thing I wish, and I think I'd said this about the last kit, was the Master Grades. You can't articulate the fingers. They just come with pre-molded hands that fit the weapon. So, uh, have you ever built one, Tim? I know you're like a big Gundam fan, but yes, I have. Uh... I built a bunch of Gundams over the years. It was actually the f when I was a kid, like, you know, really small, I was into building uh, model ships and planes. And then I got a, uh, it was one of the, it was an early, you know, this was in the 80s. So it was an early Gundam kit and then a Goof custom kit when I was probably like, 12 or 13 that I built with my grandfather. And that was like a very, I remembered very clearly like putting that thing together and thinking, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome, right? It's really great. Yeah. It's a really great feeling. Um, every time I'm over at uh, AAA hobbies, I look at their kit selection. Last time I was over there right before the quarantine, I think I mentioned it last episode, they had a couple of uh, really beautiful, perfect grade kits over there, but they're uber expensive. And I wasn't oh, sure yeah. what was going to happen with the economy. I couldn't, so I wasn't about to drop like $260 on a, on a kit uh, for one really beautiful, but really big, badass, expensive model. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. They're pretty, it's amazing how big of a price difference they are between the master grade and the perfect grade. But um, I don't know if I, I want to ask Lavelle if he's ever built one, but I'm like, if I do not know, honestly, what you're going to answer. Cause I could, I've never heard you talk about Gundam Lavelle, but I know you play and have everything model and hobby related. So like, I don't and know. There you have it. Carlo <laughs> has uncovered my one weakness, my one <laughs> kryptonite. I have never built a Gundam kit, although I did, cons I have considered it, uh, you know, um, what's the name of that store? You know, out of sight, out of mind for me. Um, <laughs> Phoenixville store. Oh, Gamers uh, Heaven. 
Gavin, they have a lot of really cool kits that I was thinking about. Yeah, surprised. Like I'm surprised you go there all the time, and they've got a really nice corner set up over there. And I would imagine that you would at least impulse buy one because I I know you. Wow. You know I mean? <laughs> Is that what you're gonna say? <laughs> On the air, impulse buy. Oh, unbelievable. Tim, well, are you just gonna let I this go that, and challenge? <laughs> I guess that's wrong because there's a lot of thought put into it. It's just a purchase Bruh. moment, but there's a lot of thought still put into it. I, I think we are well, also. I'm gonna be honest. I almost, almost impulse bought it, but yeah. I didn't. Yeah, we we are we are all prone, especially Carlo, in some situations, to say, you know what? Let's go buy some. Let's go spend some money on some crazy shit. Oh yeah, I get you guys. Yeah, I get you guys in the trouble when we're right back, for sure. A, let's go buy some things we don't need. <laughs> um, my my interest in the Gundams came, you know, from those models, and then from. Uh, you guys remember? I guess it was in the. It's definitely 80s for me, but maybe even earlier. There were those kits um, made by Bandai called um, Godaiken or Ch- Ch- Choshogen. Um, G o d a i k i n was how I was introduced to them. They were they were for sale in the 80s at the uh, KB Toy and Hobby stores, which were like the big toy stores where I grew up in the Poconos. And they were di- I think they had lead in them, which is why they weren't all that popular or for all that long. <laughs> now a couple of things are coming into focus. Yeah. Now I get it. Now he said I put them in my mouth often. Yeah. They taste great. No wonder I have a limp. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> but these were die-cast models. They weren't kits, yeah. but they were really beautiful, like almost like Voltron era. Um, really they look nice. exactly like Voltron. Yeah. Like I'm looking so, at it now. So yeah. I think Voltron was kind of like the later um, U.S. market release of these Godaiken model kits. And I, I, I was collecting them for years. I would buy them at KB and like put them in the basement in their boxes. I sold them on eBay a couple of years ago for a, a good chunk of change. Um, but every once in a while, I will go to like uh, GundamPlanet.com or um, even Barnes and Noble, you know, with my Barnes and Noble membership, you can get good deals on Gundam kits. And I have a couple at my paint, painting space now that are kind of staring at me in the face. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I like about Gundams is that the world is kind of impenetrable. You know, it's like the first time you encounter 40K or especially maybe even more so when you encounter the Horus Heresy. It's like, how do I even, what is all this stuff? Like there are so many Gundam kits. There are so many different timelines in different universes. And like, there's no continual like narrative necessarily, unless you're really into it. Like you've seen all the series and you're keeping up with the the manga and everything. It's hard to kind of parse out what you're looking at. So I just kind of buy the ones that I think are cool. Like, I don't know. The, the different timelines sort of i've seen like the gundam wing series because that's a short one that's kind of you can do that one but mm-hmm. a lot of it's it's a it's a tough world to get into from the narrative sense but the, the models are amazing i kind of like that too though it's like like i've seen i think maybe like three or four of the series but i still like don't know enough about the lore to be like okay i'm, I'm gonna focus on this one like i want to there's so many cool kits that they've made and I don't even know if all of them are related to the series. I feel like sometimes they just, it looks like they just make some that are just like art. They're like artistic expression on behalf of the company. You yes, know what I mean? They that's don't probably true. Like they, be- they belong in a series. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I especially like the really absurd looking Gundams that have like way too many, just like so many guns on them or like the, oh, yeah. <laughs> like the, the backpacks they can carry around with like just, it's just all guns all the time. It's like, it's kind of absurd, <laughs> kind of absurd. Yeah. Uh, Lavelle, how about you? What's your hobby progress been like the last couple of days? Last week, actually. So my hobby, my hobby, pro- has it been only been a week? Yeah, it's been just over a week. 
Wow. Um, I got a couple of things. Uh, I've been buying a lot of stuff. Thanks to the goodness of the internet, always keeping me supplied. Um, I finished out my AOS army, my Seraphine army, and I've got a lot of pieces, but I would have, was able to put together the new army using the new codex. And it took me a little bit of searching, but I was able to score the new data cards. So I'm really, really happy with that. I really, really like the data cards a lot. And so that's all set away. I've got uh, some additional pieces to my Sisters of Battle army. And it's, there's a little, I'm going to be honest with you guys, there's a little conflict going on in my house. Uh, right now. So the deal is my son claims he was an original Sisters of the Army, Sisters of Battle player. So he he should get the army and it's tearing us apart. It's tearing us apart. There's a rift in the I'm rift. I'm not likely to give up my army. <laughs> However, after the new Psychic Awakening came out with the Space Wolves, I'm trying to broker a deal. Hey, give me all your Space Wolves. I'll give you the Sisters of Battle. And he's not going for that at all because to his Space Wolves army, he has a complete Primaris unit, a uh, complete Primaris army, a uh, complete uh, standard Space Marine army. He's not giving it up. Mm-hmm. I went and did a quick inventory, so that's not going to happen. So I I've like, also been... W- Go ahead. I said I like what you're going for there, though. You know? You're right. <laughs> I'll give it to you. He's like, no way. Uh, the new. I've been collecting a little war machine, and I have a full um, conquest uh, last argument of Cain. I have the full army ready to go, but there, I, I just discovered in my searching, there are a couple of pieces that I didn't even know was out. Like there's one called the seasoned veteran. So, and I have a seasoned veteran in each one of my uh, units and I'm trying to collect more of those to kind of get them ready. Cause by, uh, you know, by the time we come off of this, I'm going to have a beautiful ready to go conquest army ready yes. to go. We'll be, re- we'll be ready to play some games by the time we get out of this quarantine. Now, I also want to talk about a game called Star Breach. Anybody be here of it? No. So it's just a rule set. You can actually download the PDF for free. Um, and Star Breach is just a rule set that you can bring any models to. And, you know, I've got so many models. I figured I'd give it a, a shot. I've been going through the rule set. It's pretty simple. But and it's a skirmish level game. I'm going to give it a shot with some of the arm, uh, some of the models that I got, um, and I've been holding on. I watched a YouTube battle report and woke up and realized I don't have anywhere near enough Krieg uh, pieces. So mm. I broke the deal and got and got a, a. I guess it's a whole battalion of Krieg that I'm getting ready to start assembling and painting. I don't. I don't really know why I need them, but after the YouTube battle report, they did so well. I said, they deserve more attention from me. Now, I do want to talk about two different things that we don't normally talk about here, but I think all of our listeners will kind of be, will will appreciate this. On the screen, I want to talk about three shows that I'm watching that I got to tell you is pretty good. The first is the Star Trek Picard. That is turning out, it's, it's, it's okay, but I Jones for Star Trek. It's turning out to be really, really good as it goes along. So the other well, show that... Really quick yeah. before you go on, can you explain that, uh, what the premise of that show is? Because I've been interested in it, but I haven't seen any trailers or anything yet. So I'm just wondering what it's about. I'm going to try to not give any spoilers away. Okay. So and I did a little research. I'm a Star Trek fan. In the show, Picard is in his 70s. I'm sorry, in the original, the next generation, he's in his late 60s, 70s as a captain. 
So right now he's in his nineties and, um, very high level synthetic life forms like data was, have been outlawed. The Romulan empire has kind of changed and there was this big refugee thing and he's got, it's almost like a, um, um, a dungeon adventure. I can't use it. It's just like a, a role-playing adventure for Picard. He's not in Starfleet. He doesn't have the big ship or anything. And he's just going some adventures with the Motley crew. And it, so far, it, I, I'm going to say the story is engaging. Star Trek before Deep Space Nine never really took into a serial um, production where each show was linked to the other one. You got a little bit of that in Voyager, a little bit of that in the later seasons of Enterprise, but this is more like that. I, I'm going to say this, though. I, I recommend it, but I would not tell you to drop everything that you're doing and go watch it. Everybody's got some time. Fit it in. I was going to hang Have up any, on the podcast and go check out an episode right now. but Then you'd be, <laughs> then you'd be cursing me out, and rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> the, the other, now, Enterprise, I did love Enterprise when, that, when they redid that. So that one was very gripping. Now, the other show that I'm watching um, because I just backed and kickstarted the role-playing game that goes with it. It's called Tales from the Loop. Has anybody watched that? I have heard. I, do, I just saw the poster, kind of the on-screen art for it. It looks really interesting. What's, what's the vibe? Crazy. Crazy. I can't even begin to. It's, uh, I think it centers around. It's kind of like based on that kids on bike premises, which is very close to what uh, Stranger Things was. So it's young kids and that's kind of, but it, it, it is crazy. It's definitely science fiction. I don't even know. Crazy is all I can say. I've only watched the first episode and I have to say the story, and I'm really into this, the way it tells the story is engaging. So I do recommend that. Now, have, have either of you been watching Kingdom? Is that the Yes. Kingdom. No, I haven't heard yeah, of Kingdom. Kingdom. I've watched all of it. Oh, the zombie it. story. Yeah. That's great it's, show. But, it's, I love that show. It's great. Great. If you have some time, I do recommend it. It's, it, I guess that is uh, medieval Korea. Exactly. Yep. It's like uh, yeah. feudal. I think feudal Korea, right? It's like 17. Oh, right, right. Feudal Korea. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's pretty good. And the storytelling is good. So those are three shows. As we come back, uh, us being what we're going through, I'm going to be recommending some shows that I say, hey, definitely go and, and watch. The last thing that I've been doing, which is the, 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 the it's been an incredible experience. I've been doing online D and D. Oh, any of you guys know anything like that? Oh, no, I've not. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I've played so, on Discord, but are you using a, a, a like Roll Twenty or something for it? I'm, I am using Roll Twenty. Now, I had always run a D. I have a D and D campaign. Some people get stunned by this. So if Justin is 30, and he is, Justin's my oldest son, I've been running this D&D campaign for 15 years. <laughs> but, well, primarily the same people. Come, people have dropped in and out. But I started a new online D&D campaign. I have seven players. We're using a combination of Roll20 and D&D Beyond, yeah. which I have to say is working really, really well. I've been amazed at the mods that people have put out. Like you can have your D and D beyond character sheet up side by side. You click on a skill. It rolls it on the dip roll 20. It's been really, what? really good. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, there's an actual mod that you just add into your Chrome. I'm a Chrome guy, and it works flawlessly. You click on the monster, it'll bring up the monster stats. You click on the monster's attack, it rolls it. It's been pretty good. That's really yeah, smart to make, it a, to make a, game, like a Chrome plugin for that. Is really smart. Like that. That's great. Yeah. So right now, my D&D campaign has seven players, and three of them are my children. And I did not have to <laughs> coerce them to join. <laughs> coerce them to join. My, this is my daughter, who's 15. This is her first D&D campaign. And I said to myself, it just, you know, I'm listening, and my daughter's saying, hey, I'm doing my two-handed slash with the sword. My other son says, I'm covering her with the shield. And the other guy says, I'm blasting. I said, this is beautiful. <laughs> now I'm going to kill them all, but, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> and the next thing you know, my, one of my sons says, I'm down. The other one says, me too. <laughs> Now, this is a worthwhile family activity. Yep, 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 yep. It's, it's tough love, but it's love nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So if, they the do, like, doing. if they don't do their chores, you can punish them in game for you, you know? So. <laughs> I'm a, it would work if I wasn't going to punish them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. One, of my, one of my sons hollered at my daughter over the mic. He said, don't open that door. That's not your father. <laughs> That's not your father. Don't open that door. <laughs> Sure, open the door. He's he's not dead that's right what, now. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> that's cool. The um, I have been uh, right before the well. I've actually been back to the get models a couple times, but um, I had uh, you know to stay inside. I have, as I probably mentioned last episode, I've been bringing stuff from my painting space home and setting up on the living room table or the kitchen table to try to get some work done here at the house. Um, so I, I started bringing all the orc stuff that I have home, and I have built. And I'm in the process of painting. It's almost like 3,500 points of orcs, which has been a, a hell of a lot of fun, I have to say. I did the basing this past week. I used that uh, AK Interactive, like, muddy base uh, paste, kind of. It comes in, like, a small paint can, and it's like, a, it's like a mix of plaster and just bits and whatnot. It dries brown, but I, uh, I, I wound up priming over it and repainting it. I, I did all the bases with that, and I put on some... Uh, we have some grit, like uh, it's called top dressing. You put it inside of potted plants that you want to submit for judging to a, uh, at like a flower show or a competition, right? So there's, it's, they look like aquarium stones and aquarium sand. It's like very f different grades of fineness to the sand and to the stones. So I, I based them all on this muddy surface and put some grit down and put some stones in there. And I painted the stones like glowing blue crystals because I'm trying to build this narrative around the this orc army trying to steal what they think are these power crystals, but they're worthless, but they're just too dumb to figure that out. So they're not the brightest orcs in the world, which is probably true of all orcs. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun painting them. I've been doing a lot of painting with sponges, like just slapping on a lot of really heavy paint with um, non-traditional methods i'll say that like using my fingers a lot and a lot of sponges and brushes that are too big i've just been trying to have some some fun and because i don't have a really great chair to sit in while i'm painting i'm trying to like not be like super focused with really tiny brushes like hunched over the models trying to get every little detail so i'm, I'm trying to play it a little um safer on my posture while we're on quarantine too um, but that's been a lot of fun i look forward to having um a, a ton of orcs painted not too many boys but I have uh, 20 knobs, nine kilocans, two dreads, two battle wagons, a bunch of mechs and characters, pain boy, weird boy, and the um, Stampa. Stampa's going to be a lot of fun. I'm doing him with uh, the chipping, uh, with 
chipping solution. So I did all the rust underneath it and then I put the chipping solution over it and then I'm going to paint it as if they had scavenged the parts for the Stampa from Ultramarines, from Salamanders, and from Imperial Fists. So there's going to be different colors of uh, Imperial uh, metal on the sides of the Stampa. And I'm going to go so far as to put on the, uh, the decals for those. Um, I do not endorse well. this heresy. It is definitely heretical, <laughs> but it's been a good time, yeah. Um, and I also, I also, I, I might have mentioned this to you all before, I, I took advantage of the uh, battle foam sale that they had in lieu of their attending Adepticon, which was canceled. I got, uh, I bought the foam for the Orc Army before it was even built and painted. So once it's done, I'll be able to put that in a box and, uh, and game away with it. So that's been fun. Um, and that's really all I've been up to, but I've been able to sit with that probably at least an hour or two a day, which has felt really nice. It's been good to look at gray plastic three weeks ago and look at it now, and it's starting to look like a finished army, which is, which is awesome. I have a question for you guys, um, you know, in this hobby progress, what, what's your take or what's your feeling about 3D printing and some of the things that are popping up with 3D printing? Tim, you want to go first? Am I talking into the mute? No, um, I, I'm in full support of it if it looks good and if it's passable and if the you know, if you're doing it yourself, if you know what you're doing, great. If you're using somebody else, if they know what they're doing, great. But Carlo, I think you've had more experience with actually trying to get this stuff and having models customized this way, yeah? Uh, yeah, I guess I've gotten a few things from Shapeways for it, and uh, I've gotten a few things from our buddy Joe, who printed some whirlwind tops for me, which I honestly still haven't put on Yeah, <laughs> But... Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's nice. I think uh, f to definitely fill like the deficit of bits for certain kits, uh, and you know, if we're just looking at it from a Warhammer perspective, like it's really great for filling, uh, like I said, the deficit of bits. Like, like for instance, I was talking about I had gotten cyclic ion blasters a few weeks ago because you can only get them one at a time in a commander kit, which is fifty dollars. So it's like if you want to run three per suit and you have six suits you know you're gonna spend a lot of money um just trying to get those cyclic ion blasters unless you buy bits on ebay or something in which case you're probably so you're pr probably gonna have a hard time finding them because everybody wants them right now if you had looked like you know a few years ago you probably could have found them but uh, now they're the best weapon Tau has. So stuff like that, it's great. And then uh, obviously like the customizing of the, the night kits, you know, I've done that. I've ordered the wolf head for my, uh, my Imperial Knight. Um, I'm sure they have a bunch of stuff for a bunch of different models, you know, and there's tons of vendors on Shapeways now that uh, have submitted their ST. I think they're called STLs, right? Is that what they call mm -hmm. them? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's my take on it. I, I, I like it. I don't necessarily, I wouldn't replace models with it intentionally because I don't like the, the lines that are left, um, from the 3d printing process. I don't think it's quite there yet for, uh, like model quality wise yet, but I think it's a great substitution for parts that are hard to get or that don't exist right now. What's your take uh, you on know, Lobo? Well, I don't know, because I've been seeing some full models come out. Some for people 3D printing full models, full-scale models. And I was thinking, well, you know, I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, if I were going to, for fun, 
and most of my game, well, I can't say most of my, a lot of my games are just for fun. If I, if I didn't want to spend a bunch of money to invest in an army yet, would I be willing to do that? And so that's what I, I just been seeing a lot of it pop up. That yeah, was there, it. There, there, was, there was another company, Carlo, um, Pop Goes the Monkey, or they, do they do something similar? Are they 3D printing pieces? I think, I think they 3D print like shoulder pads and stuff like that. If you want to get custom Imperial fish shoulder pads or whatever, you know, if you want to get custom, whatever your Marine chapter is, gotcha. um, I believe they do other parts too. And they can also, I think what they can do is you can submit a drawing or what a custom image to you. Like if you have a homebrew chapter and he will print that chapter. Um, and I think you can, he will take that design that he's made and put it up on his site unless you pay extra, I think. I think you could pay extra to keep it like a private design. I'm not totally sure about oh, that. Oh, that's interesting. So but, he's kind of, he's like building a library of designs that his customers have submitted. That's interesting. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting. But he, I think he's building the 3D representation of it. Uh, which is why he's able to put that up. Yeah, but I think if you give him, uh, you gotcha. give him just like the the floor. So. Gotcha. The um one thing, uh, quick last thing to talk about in Hobby Progress here, because the Games Workshop, I think just yesterday announced that they are going to be closed indefinitely. They have no plans to reopen any of their uh, shipping or retail locations as of April 14th, which was their original plan at the beginning of the outbreak. I have been noticing that it's been harder and harder to get stuff online. Right. Um, I wanted to get the latest. Uh, um, I wanted to buy the, <clears throat> excuse me, the Saga of the Beast chap, uh, Psychic Awakening book, and that was hard to find. Um, I wanted to get the, uh, I just ordered it on eBay for fear of it uh, running out, the uh, Greater Good Psychic Awakening book. And that was, uh, there weren't that many, many vendors selling that one anymore either. And the prices that are there for Saga of the Beast right now are really inflated on eBay. They're selling for like 80 bucks because they're not, uh, not in active circulation right now, which I thought was really interesting. My go-to eBay sellers too are really down in their inventory, they have very little stuff left from GW to ship, which is a, both a good sign and a uh, a bad sign. I mean, it's not as if I need models right now to go play a tournament or anything. But it was, you know, if we're if we're home and shopping online, it's interesting that we're uh, there's getting there's becoming uh, fewer and fewer things to buy. Yeah, Tim, I bought two copies of that book. I got them from Miniature Market. Yeah, I just looked at this Miniature Market not, today. They were sold this is out. Not yeah. an endorsement. No, um, Miniature Market was sold out as of uh, yesterday, apparently. And uh, yeah. Frontline Gaming has a few copies, so I might get one from them uh, today. Okay. Cool. With that, we will take a short break. We will come back with Section 2 Tactical Upload. Stay tuned. We're talking about ways to stay sharp in the absence of in-person gaming, uh, ways we're trying to keep up with the hobby other than hobbying that part of the hobby while we're here on quarantine, right? I'm talking about uh, things like list building which is something that I know a lot of people in the hobby are into and they just do it for fun. But that's something I've been exploring recently just to start seeing how different combinations of things could theoretically work together. I'm talking about watching more and more battle reports, which I know that's something Lavelle is big into and something I started doing, especially for AOS recently. I found watching AOS battle reports to be extremely helpful. Um, And uh, things like Tabletop Simulator, 
which is a way to play 40K and other tabletop miniatures games online. Let's start with uh, list building. Um, it's something, especially with regards to putting together this new orc army, uh, something I've been getting more and more into. I've actually been sitting at my laptop with uh, Battlescribe open and, uh, you know, trying to look at, uh, like it was a lot of fun last week, I took out all of my AdMech stuff and I looked for new ways, you know, just looking at it physically on my gaming table in the basement, like how, do, how could I reorganize this army? Then I would put it into Battlescribe and say, okay, what do I get for looking at the army this way? Or what can I add to the army to, to, to be able to do this, that kind of stuff, which I know a lot of people are into by default, but now I found myself doing that a lot more in the absence of the ability to just call somebody up and go for a game. Is that something that you guys are into? And is it, is it a good way to stay sharp? Tim, I want to say something. I'm going to let one of my secrets out. Yeah. So I do that a lot. Um, I do it far more with my Necron army because it, uh, when you're playing Necron, you learn to be methodical. Mm. So I do the list building and I side by side. I can't remember the name of the app. I have an app that um, you put in the number of shots, the AP, and uh, the arm, uh, the arm of the, the, the saves, how many invulnerable saves, whether you're going to reroll once. And it'll tell you, based on the uh, toughness characteristic of the model that you're shooting at, how many wounds you can expect to do based on the number of shots. And so I had heard it before, but that's how I came up to the fact that Tesla, with um, even though it's zero AP, it's normally zero AP. Tesla in the Mephrit dynasty on destroyers with my will be done on them. It produces an incredible amount of wounds on a toughness four unit. However, when you get to toughness five, it drops out. If you keep those two things open as you're doing list building and mixing and matching things, it'll give you a better idea of not just the strength of a unit, but the strength of the supporting character, for example, when the Necron Lord, which allows to reroll ones on the wounds, and it, it, it's all programmed in there. It's really, really good. And that's one, when, when, especially if I'm going to a tournament, when I know, and I also do it in reverse. I say, this is my unit. What kind of shots coming in and what quantity do I need to be uh, cautious of? Is that app called 40K Math, Lavelle? Um... Skip ahead. Let me okay. find out. Because be math hammer, forty k math. math hammer. Okay. Because right? I, I, I have discovered... not been able to find the math hammer. No, actually, it's called dice roller. Oh. There, mu there must dice be dice roller. There, there must be a couple of them because I discovered one just just a yeah. few days ago called forty k math, which does something similar. You put in the number of attacks, you put in what you need to hit, you put in the weapon strength, etc., and there you are trying to figure out how many wounds you can deal, which is so. What this which one is, does which is a cool is way to, number of shots. It's a cool way to build lists. Number yeah. of shots, the roll to hit that you need, and then you toggle if you reroll ones on a hit, reroll misses, mortal wounds on a six, and and then on the to wound it says you're, if you're rerolling ones to wound, your weapon strength, your enemy tough, enemy toughness, and it kind of does that. Now here's my caveat: I want to tell everybody this is a mathematical formula, which is not the same as rolling dice. <laughs> It is just an, yeah, odds, it's an you, odds estimator more than anything else, yeah. That's right, because if you roll hot, you roll hot. And if you roll not, then you roll not. It's simple as that. Totally, yeah. Um, Lavelle, do you find it extra, uh, is it extra helpful to do, just to go through the exercise of list building with your Necrons because you do have a huge 
Necron army too, right? And there's lots of ways you can divide up your big army into smaller, more playable forces, yeah? At this point in my life, there is no 40K army that I have that is not huge. Yeah. That's just where I am in my life. I ask for less judgment and just yeah. accept my debility mm -hmm, here. Mm -hmm. So, yes, almost all. I do it more. I do it with my Necrons, but lately, not lately, but last year and the end of the year, I became really, really effective with my custodes, yeah. and I used it with my custodians. Yeah. Let's talk about battle report watching. Um, I mentioned it as a, a, you know, I started playing AOS more regularly right before the coronavirus outbreak, but I found it really helpful for that. I know, Lavelle, you do this quite a bit. I do. I do watch a lot of battle reports and there's a lot out there. Um, I'm not going to, at this point, endorse um, anybody in particular. There are some that I don't watch. Um, priority, I have to mention priority. What is it? Priority orders discarded. I think it might be. Yeah. All his battle reports are pretty funny. So, and they're not long at all. Um, but I do watch battle reports, especially battle reports um, against the armies that I play and the armies that I'm concerned about. If there's a new army that comes out, I'll watch a lot of battle reports. Like I'm watching a lot of space wolves and a lot of the new orcs that come out of the um, new psychic awakening because I don't want to be blindsided. And let's talk about ways to play remotely, right? So I mentioned last podcast that I was playing Yahtzee over a webcam, which is obviously much easier to play than a game of 40K. Mm -hmm. um, but there are things like a Tabletop Simulator, which do let us play 40K remotely. I just, uh, I just bought it today at Carlo's encouragement to get a game in. Um, and I, I read a couple of reviews before uh, clicking the buy button on Steam. And it, it does come highly regarded for the, its ability to test out lists before you actually invest in the models to put it on the table and see if it actually works, which I think is kind of smart. You can, you, you know, you can play ITC missions or something with, you know, X, Y, and Z army that you may not own yet, or with units you may not have in your collection without having to do, you know, counts as or proxies or anything. You can just, it's, you essentially have an infinite closet full of painted 40k armies to pull from and put on your tabletop simulator table um carlo what's been what's been your experience with it and how well does it work um i'll have to say like i really like it i really love the concept of it it's a great tool um i've played several games on it and i've had a lot of fun doing it um now with that in mind it is something that can i don't think it's gonna like be a a good avenue to directly replace all of your 40k playing with like i wouldn't primarily play 40k on there because you lose out on obviously the aesthetic of like you know being able to paint and show off your models and stuff i think everybody's usually pretty proud of that if you're a person who hates painting it's a great like <laughs> great way to play 40k because everything on there is is painted already right but um uh the other thing about it is it takes I don't want to say quite a bit longer because once you master like all the hotkeys and stuff, you could play a game like pretty quickly, but comparatively to playing in person, it does take a little bit longer um, because you're, you're, you can't just like pick up the dice that are on the table and roll them. You have to drag your mouse over them and like tap R a few times or something and then like count them. And like, people have been making these um, um, special rooms that are equipped with all these little tools. So, uh, getting further into it 
um, when you download Tabletop Simulator, that can be used to play a bunch of different games. The way that you play 40K on it is by going into the community workshop and by downloading these add-ons and creation, these community um, uh, creations that people have made to be able to play 40K, and they've uploaded and mapped models and put them on there, right? So um, people have also made boards to play on, and some of the boards have dice included already. They have uh, a turn counter included. They have CP trackers. They have uh, an area on the board where you can roll dice, and it'll tell you exactly how many of each dice was rolled. So if you're, and there's a preset with terrain. Sometimes you can move the terrain around if you want. Um, there's special dice for your army. There's like all sorts of different units you can get, you know? So it's really crazy, like the amount of work that people put in in this thing. And if while we're in quarantine, this is the best way I think to play 40K. Uh, comparatively, what GW published, which is, I love Games Workshop, but the most ridiculous thing I've seen is they're, they posted an article where they had, they were trying to teach people how to play Warhammer over with a webcam, which I think is like the craziest idea. I don't know. Like, I don't think I would even try it. I would have to be really, really desperate. Like we're going to have to like go into like next, this thing would have to be going for another year before I try that at least. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That seems logistically a lot more difficult than it's worth. Yeah. I didn't, I, I'm not really understanding. So both of you have a webcam. No. So it's uh, okay. Yeah. 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 The one, the way that GW is trying to get people to do it is, yeah, both of you have a webcam, and then you both set up a table, and I think you like mimic the movements of each other, basically. So it's. I would need your army, though, wouldn't I? I mean, I think you could proxy with another army you have, but yeah, you would need that many rep. You would need representations of that those models in some way, and. It's. It just seems like a so really. GW said, "Buy two out. armies and yeah. play somebody." <laughs> <laughs> this works out well for us. I mean, you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a little bit crazy talk. I think. Yeah. Um. So, Carla, let me get this straight for my benefit and maybe for the benefit of our listeners. Right. So, after I install it from my Steam library, um, I go back into the community section of Steam and hunt around for the links to the 40k like packages of assets and the, the 40k stuff I would need to add as if it was dlc to tabletop simulator in order to be able to play 40k there exactly and there's a little bit more involved where you so you install that stuff right you get the the steam community stuff and you actually just hit it's a subscribe button so you just hit subscribe and it'll save it to your tabletop simulator folder and then you go in there and you actually have to save either the army or individual units or individual models um, as objects so you can load them into other games because the the army will come together on a game table which will load that game and then you could drag your mouse over us I, I forget what the maximum number of models is but you could drag your mouse i usually save them unit at a time so i saved a squad of breachers or like if i was playing my save my space wolves i have a unit of a uh, wolf guard and a unit of uh, like a like a dreadnought or whatever, and I have those all saved individually. So whenever I'm playing, I could just drop each individual model or unit, um, depending on what list I'm playing. That makes so. sense. I'm gonna start fussing with that this afternoon. See if I can get it up and working. Yeah. Yep. The um another interesting thing that I saw, and I don't know if they did this for 40k, um, but day before yesterday, Games Workshop had published a solo campaign for Age of Sigmar, 
where you could, I think it was Trog- Trogoths or the big troll models. It was like your army versus the big trolls. And they suggested, you know, like anything with a 60 millimeter base could be substituted for the enemy. Um, and it was a whole, you know, it came with, war, it was like a War Scroll um, battle plan. You could download and print and it was all designed like an AOS game should be. And it was like a, a solo or co-op if you wanted to bring in some some of your quarantined family members with you into the campaign. But it was a nice little, you know, like a branching tree campaign situation you could play through solo, which I thought was a really great idea. But I don't know if they'd done that for 40K yet. I haven't seen that. So, Tim, uh, as a big solo game player, board and card game, one of the, the critical things for the solo, just like any, uh, any uh, video game, is the AI, the AI mechanism. Did it include that? Yeah, it was a, I think it was a dice mechanic on a couple of charts. So it was similar to how other okay. games do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have to check that out. Yeah, I, I downloaded it last night. I didn't run it through my printer yet, but I'll probably do that tomorrow morning and see if I can get a game in this weekend of uh, AOS versus me versus these uh, big troll models or anything I can find with a 60 millimeter base in the basement. Yeah. yeah. Tim, send me a link. I will. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put a send note me a up link on so there. I can check it out. I will. I'll send you a link. I've got some old Mage Facebook. Knight pieces that might fit the mold just for that. Hmm. Um, to go back to Tabletop Simulator, one thing I noticed while I was purchasing it, it on Steam, there is, um, I guess they're uh, officially licensed board game representations that are available to purchase as DLC for play in Tabletop Simulator. For instance, I noticed there was one for Blood Rage, which is a really popular board game. There was probably 30 or 40 of them. It was not inexpensive too. You could buy like all the DLC. It was several hundred dollars to buy all these board game, like officially licensed, like with the same graphics, the same typography. And it was cool because they, even for Blood Rage, there was like a, uh, you know, in the screenshot they showed, it was like a Blood Rage table. And then it was in a blood rage room. So there was like a wall behind the table with the word blood rage on it. And it was all kind of decorated as much as it was able to be decorated to fit the blood rage kind of aesthetic, which I thought was pretty cool. So you could, I guess, theoretically be sitting there with multiple friends in the blood rage room playing blood rage, which is, which is kind of neat. Awesome. With that, we will take a break. We'll come back with our combination section three and four. Welcome back, Future History, combined with Remixed from the Battlefield of the Warp from the Stacks. First up, we're going to talk about another short story from the Victories of the Space Marines collection that we've been enjoying in the last couple of episodes of Crew Shaken. This one, I think, is my favorite so far. It's called Runes by Chris Raitt. So this is a, it's essentially a Space Wolves short story that has this really cool you know, this is this is laden with spoilers, by the way, so maybe come back and listen to his chat about it after you've read the story, because I'm just going to give away the whole gag right here. So it starts okay, off... Okay, so let's wait. Let's wait, 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 Tim. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, you're back. You went and stopped. Let's do it. Now we're good, going into it. Go, Tim. Good, good call. G- Gellerfields are down. Now we can talk about the spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it starts off, you know, you got Space Wolves on this acid-etched planet battling these really interesting-sounding Xenos, almost like golem 
kind of construct beasts, right? Really cool enemies they're fighting. Something certainly new to my experience of reading about 40K. I'd never heard about these beasts before, and I think they're just created for the story. And they, but they were cool to read about. Big battle. They had a rune priest with them, you know, who's rolling the bones and, like, reading the, the bones the whole time, which is always awesome. Of course, the like the archetypal uh, Space Wolves personalities are there. Like, one guy just wants to go berserk all the time, and the rune priest is like, no, he has a more metered approach, you know, about everything. And he's, like, listening to the wind and, like, looking at the clouds and, like, trying to get a feel for the storm, you know, and all that, which is pretty great. Um, and then what you think is happening concurrently with that is that there are Eldar landing on getting, arriving, you know, the Eldar arriving on the planet through a, um, um, through the webway at the same time in search of the same artifact that the rune priest has been having dreams of existing. So the rune priest has been having these dreams. He's got to go to this place with this rune written on the wall, etc. This is this is something really special. We have to go there. The, the the trick here is that they are aware. The space wolves are aware that this planet is basically covered in oceans of acid permanently. Except every five thousand years, there's a very short window of opportunity where the uh, the orbit of the planet pulls it close enough to another body in this system where the acid pulls pulls back almost like low tide and you can walk on the surface of this planet where this space wolf rune priest has had these visions that this rune should be located that he's drawn to so he's convinced his his uh, pack brethren to go on this <clears throat> what they think is kind of a what his brethren think is kind of a fool's errand to be walking around in this uh, acid world essentially looking for this thing that they don't even know what it is right so the the trick here right is that as the space wolves come to arrive in this we'll call it a cave where this rune is located we think that the eldar are arriving at the same time but the gig is the eldar actually arrived there 5000 years prior to yeah that threw me off yeah. Hold on a second. So the in the story, let me back up and say yeah. there was something about the planet, almost like it was sentient, and the creatures they were fighting were coming out of the planet, like falling off of, like the surface of a cliff. One of them would just kind of be made out of it, which I I wasn't sure if that was the nature of the planet itself. I I thought that was interesting. I wanted to learn more about that. So when the, when the space marines are going, they still they pick up the tech priest, right? Yes, they they meet the tech priest. <clears throat> uh, they they kind of save the tech priest from some of these golem figures. Yes, and so they get there, and they found out that the there had been a battle for this artifact before by this same tech priest. Exactly. So the tech right. priest, the tech priest had had battled the Eldar five thousand years prior. So now here's where I got a little confused. So he obviously in that encounter was not able to get the artifact. So he had to withdraw and come back. Is that correct? No, he had the artifact, was trapped away with it for five thousand years. Yeah, he was like Carlo, basically. I mean, so he was hiding it so he could learn more about it. He was hiding, I think, with it. Or no, no, he did have to leave it. Cause he, did? he said, yeah, because he said, I have to, after he battled the warlock, the LR warlock, he put it back on the, the altar. Yeah. 
back in the room and left. And he put the box back, come and, back. Said, and left. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Oh, and when I he see. came back, that's when he met the space wolves. He came back with the two servitors thinking, I'm going to go back and finish what I started. Cause this acid ocean only subsided every 5,000 years. And so when he got there, right, what drew the, uh, what, it was in his dying act when somehow the Eldar, the uh, the Eldar etched the, the rune, the warlock etched the rune. That rune transcended time and space, and was able to be perceived five thousand years from now by the rune priest. Yes, that was right. my taking. And so the rune priest was drawn there, yes. and the only thing he was drawn to do was to stop the te- the tech priest. Right, but the tech priest was on the planet for 5,000 years, correct? Which is why he was so bugged out when the space wolf showed up. Like, he had to re-remember how to speak Gothic with the Fenrisian accent, right? So I'm, I'm pretty sure I he was stuck on the planet the whole time. I might be, yeah, I but I remember, they, they saw him when they first landed, or what, before. He, they had to escort him to the place, but yes. somehow he gave them the slip. Yes. He gave them the slip because he knew where he was going and he got down to the location before them. You see, the, when they, okay, I'm, I'm, this is how I read it. When they got there and they, they don't know they're, they're, they're following the room priests and the pack leaders like, this is crazy. Yeah. It's like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. It's important. Trust me. And so they go and proceed and they're going to some unknown location. But when they got there, the, tech priest showed up and so they said hey this let's fight our way to this humanoid and hey what are you doing here tech priest and he said hey i knew i knew you know i am not you need to follow me i know where we're going mm. and so they're following him but before they get to the hole that was sealed up that's what happened that's what i thought so he had to leave the artifact there because in his fight with the eldar they did the same thing they mm-hmm. delayed him to the point where he was not able to get the artifact out. That's what I thought. Interesting. This, this story is more complicated than I than I thought because I, I don't remember that. I don't remember them. Get, I don't remember the tech priest giving the space wolves the slip. And correct me if I'm wrong. Let, let, let's confirm this much uh, between the three of us. Was the tech priest stuck on the planet for five thousand years? I thought not. Okay. I so thought the tech priest had got away and kind of assimilated and act like he was a normal tech priest until he waited his time till he could swing back. Gotcha. That's what I thought. Okay. He's so on page 40. Or I guess it might be different depending on what you're reading, what uh, device you're reading on. But he said, uh, what's he say? 41. There's so much to do before he'd be back. But then there was so much to learn. So he said, da, da, da. He, he. So with a final glance across the chamber, Charsis let the dome close over his head. He had to leave. They'd be tearing space apart to find him. So I assume that he left the planet. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. But not with the artifact. Right. He left it there. Okay. See, I read that as he was locking himself in with it. But maybe you're right. Maybe he did leave and then came back. That makes more sense. Yeah, 
if he would have locked himself in there, he would have been in there for 5,000 years and he could not have survived. But outside, he can keep downloading his memory, a.k.a. call, <laughs> yeah. and, and keep, keep it going for 5,000 years till he can come back. Ever, ever the patient. Those chaos guys, they are really, really patient. Yeah, it turns out he's chaotic because the thing that he had found on this planet, the thing that the Eldar knew was, were there and were trying to keep from him was, was basically a black box, right? Called the Ix Camora, the heart of agony. I describe it as a black, black death box that, was, that he had discovered on one of the Admech Explorator Crusades. So they describe it as what starts off as a just a small black box. I'm picturing it like the thing from Hellraiser, you know, like just a little kind of like evil looking box with all this kind of stuff etched on it. And then in the right hands and with the right manipulations, it becomes different shapes and different forms and gives the bearer different evil and uh, obviously now chaos tinged energies with which to smite his foes, which is certainly what this uh, tech priest attempts to do with, uh, he does it successfully with the Eldar, leaves, comes back with the space wolves, tries to take it from the space wolves and keep all this power for himself gets his ass handed to him by the few remaining space wolf warriors who in the end do successfully shuffle their way off the planet after throwing the heart of agony in the acid pools that are returning to the planet at the last minute the acid starts to swell up everything melts away the box of death gets melted away and the space wolves are like peace we have to get off this rock of doom and mission accomplished. They've discovered what was underneath that rune that the rune piece was seeing in his visions and uh, stopped what could have been a significant threat to the galaxy. I had never heard of this artifact before. It might've just been a one-off creation for the story, but I did like the idea of this like dark Eldar um, thing that was hidden away on this planet that could do so much damage. So, you know what else I like in the story um, are two, I don't know, there are heroes, but the, the, the wolf lord, the battle leader, and the tech priest. I'm sorry, not the tech priest. The rune priest. They got a different appreciation for each other. And so the, 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 the rune priest got an appreciation that, hey, this guy's strength and personal resolve is not just bravado. Mm. This guy is the real deal because he's like, yeah, I'm burnt up and uh, everything's correct on me, but I got you. I'm going to carry you out of here because mm -hmm. you're my brother. And then the room priest and, the, and the, the battle, the battle leader said, hey, there was something to what this room priest saw. This was mm. important. And in the end, he does value pack. It was yeah. really, really good. Yeah, they did reconcile some big differences that, that are within the Space Wolves chapter, right? Which, which we thought, I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. And, and the, the, the one Space Wolf had his arm basically absorbed into the box and lost his arm in the process of the battle. And I think he wound up just getting absorbed entirely in the box and, and, and killed, which segues nicely into our next thing we wanted to talk oh, hold about. Hold it. Be before we go there, only two of them got off the planet. Correct. But, you know, it was funny that the room priest is like, hey, why are we going through this this exercise of climbing up here? We're doomed. It's it's all over. You know, there's no place for us to go. We'll never make. But the, the battle was like, you know what? I'm trusting my brother who drives the Thunderhawk. He's not <laughs> yeah. leaving us. Yeah, He's not leaving us. Yeah, if I get up there, he'll get me. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. Well, the, the, I think the, the room priest dies in the end. The very last scene because he, he die yeah because like the 
it, it's inferred that he dies because for the it says for the last time the great or the dark wolf like like howls to him or something like that. Mm. I can't remember. I don't know if oh, he probably just becomes a wolf thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but, probably but, what happened there. But you're you're right in bringing that part up, Laville, because they did. Uh, it was almost as if the battle leader like had a. It was like a, a reversal of faiths. Right where he had faith in his brothers to save him, and he didn't uh, didn't have the faith yeah. in the rune, no faith in the runes necessarily, but faith in faith in his brothers, which I liked. Right. Good um, so, story. Good story. Yeah, it was a great story. Another good addition to that book, uh, Victories of the Space Marines. I've I've enjoyed everything we've read in there for the most part. There was one kind of bummer one that we talked about two episodes ago, but <clears throat> this one I thought was the best so far. It was definitely the most. Uh, um, energized i liked those scenes when they were fighting in the cave with the altar and the black box that was a really cool description of how the space wolves battle and a really good description of how the eldar go to battle too which which one was the bummer one the blood angels one or the uh there was one that was like extremely straightforward might have been the blood angels one it wasn't bad but it was just yeah we read three so far the third i think it was the second one that we weren't too keen on yeah yeah yeah. it was too like the great uh the blood blood angel one was just too uh to uh like stereotypical yeah like, i think so yeah. yeah okay i think so this whereas this one had some nice it had a good the whole time shift kind of element i thought put, yeah put, put me on my back foot narratively which i liked yeah i like so this one i felt initially i feel like all these short stories get off kind of slow footed a little bit but then they, by the end they're just really gripping i almost wish there was more mm. <laughs> i think like a lot of them almost need more 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 time to yeah breathe a little bit but that's uh, how they get us yep (laughs) (laughs) just a taste just a taste first one's free yeah um let's move on to the next thing we're going to talk about which is this amazing uh fan fiction video animation series that was uh posted to youtube uh paid for in part by a patreon campaign called astartes um lavelle you've talked about this in past episodes we've all i think been keeping up with these five i think it's five sections right as they were uh, released the final one was just released this past week which is great timing uh maybe accidental because i think a lot of people is it the final one or just the latest one i think just the latest one but i think this is sort of a this is the the last one in this particular little arc that's my impression i'm not sure where i got that impression from but that's how it was that's how i absorbed it um so as as our listeners know and as you guys know i'm usually not a fan of seeing the 40k universe birth uh universe breathed to life in this fashion right i don't like uh taking my impression of what this universe feels like and looks like and sounds like and put onto a screen, right? I don't think it's a good idea that Games Workshop is trying to do their own animations. I don't think it's a good idea that there might be a live action Inquisitor TV series. But this video series in particular, I actually did like quite a bit, especially how it ended. I do do not support this heresy. I know. I think, let me, let me, let me, let me finish my point. Let me finish my point. Cause I, cause I think, I think why I like this one so much might resonate with some folks. I like this one, especially because there was no dialogue. Right. It was the entire story, like everything the space Marines were saying to each other and to the, um, I'm not sure if that was an inquisitor or just like an inquisitorial, um, surf agent, agent right. maybe. I, I'm not sure like what that character was and, but there was no dialogue, right? Nobody needed to say anything. The body language was so well put together and the gestures were so well animated that they they didn't need to say anything. These are well-trained space Marines, right? These are not messing around 
they're in perfect sync. They know what their mission objective is. They are just doing the damn thing. There's no like standing around, you know, hey, um, do you guys think we should uh, shoot this Inquisitor in the face because his eyes are glowing red right now? No. It was just like fist to the face, crush him against the floor. Let's move on. Which, I, which really resonated with me, I think, because they didn't put voices in place. And that's why I, I liked this one of a lot versus some of the other stuff that I'd seen. I love the fact that that scene's a meme now, like in the 40K community. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen it as a meme. No, no. it's like, <laughs> because it's like, it's like the ultimate, like, uh, inc- like the way like Imperium would deal with heresy right you just like shoot it now and ask questions later kind of a thing right so. it was definitely effective that was not he, that that inquisitor was no longer a threat as soon as his face hit the metal or whatever that was underneath him yeah um but this the story starts out uh, it's in short chunks until the last well the most recent the fifth installment which is i think seven or eight minutes and it's really tight you know it's um space marines boarding a ship uh, great depictions of you know the them their boarding torpedo their boarding craft entering that ship, them arriving fighting their way towards this thing this door that's guarded by two psychers and how they how the psychers were able to repel the storm of bolter fire how the space marines were hip to hide from las cannons and uh, uh, assault cannons on their way to these psychers i thought that was really great um again they were synchronized in motions perfectly there was no dialogue they just did just did the, did the work you know they just went to work on this ship on their way to these two psychers i loved the battle scene with the two psychers those moments of tension where the space the, the first space marine to encounter them had jumped towards them with his uh, combat blade out and he froze them in space and you could tell the space marine was fighting against the psychic uh freeze that he was put on by one put under by one of these psychers that was awesome uh the distraction nothing like a plasma pistol to distract a psyker from what they're trying to do on the other side of the room right <laughs> nothing like it nothing says hello like a plasma pistol in the back um really enjoyed that there's some after they you know they they dispatch these two psychers they open this door they get to this this wonderfully mysterious floating orb that's kind of held in check with all of these clamps and and some sort of devices with these glowing circles around them it reminded me a lot of uh like the spinning orb from Event Horizon or the sphere. Oh, look, just, it actually did look a lot like that. Right, right. <laughs> just like the, this this thing of power that we're not sure what it is. Um, and then it opens it, its way up to a really great uh, scene at the end, which we'll talk about in a second, that, that asks a lot of good questions. What is where, do, where does this space marine find himself after entering whatever he entered? Um, but let's, let's stop there for just a second. And Carlo, how did you feel about it? What were your takeaways? I really enjoyed it. It was like, uh, just like you, I really don't care too much for 40K in like a visual medium most of the time. But actually, you know, I liked that it was really short and nice and short and I could watch it and I didn't have to get too crazy into it because like a lot of people, like everybody across the you know world right now, we're all staying inside and binge watching stuff. So I'm kind of sick of watching TV at this point, you know, but uh, it was nice. It was a nice uh, small uh film to sit down and watch um and there's some people on youtube were nice enough to put all five parts together i was like i saw that they're split in uh i guess like 50 second segments or something like that but i had gone on i was like oh great one of uh, a video with all of them in one that was perfect um i didn't feel like clicking one after the other and then watching the intro and the outro of each one every time you know what i mean so um the other uh i thought 
a lot of the scenes are really cool. Um, unfortunately, not having dialogue kind of leaves you to wonder what all those things were because, like, a lot of times in the forty, there's so much in the forty k universe that you almost rely, like, when you're reading for the um, narrator to explain to you what everything is because there's so many different um, aspects of technology in 40k like what is that orb you know what i mean i need need to be explained to me what that was but um i think maybe if they continue the videos they'll explain it or somebody i think i actually did see a, a video that somebody had picked out in the lore what that thing was i didn't watch it but i don't know if you saw that on youtube or not so gather around kitties gather around come around the fire i'll tell you what it's all about so the orb so one of the key things is, and I've watched several pick apart videos where they explained it. You know the big metal body they found, they passed? You remember yeah. that? Yeah, sure. Anybody? So originally when they were kind of doing their thing, originally I thought, is that a Catan? That's what's trying to figure out what was going on. Um, but they are, they believe the theory is that it's a race called the Uvoth. And the Uvoth were as favors. They were defeated by the Imperium in Millennium 39. Um, I guess that's 39K, yeah. So what happened was they were all kind of supposedly done away with. And they believe, remember, there are two orbs, one on the battle barge and one, let me say this, one on the battle bar barge, not the Cobra. They were launched from a Cobra. Uh, like a destroyer class. Mm -hmm. And then later in the episode, they sh that's where they showed us them launch from. They were, uh, there was a battle barge. There's one on the battle barge where assumably the chapter master, or at least a captain is there watching the psyker trying to commune with it. And the sister or the other one is on this ship that they're trying to sneak away with. Oh. One of the other things, the only dialogue in the entire episode, because there is dialogue. The dialogue is between one orb to the other. There's actually some words in there. Um, and when they, the, the one orb that kind of feels like, hey, they got me, that's when they kind of, um, it activates. And remember when it pulls all of the Astartes into the warp and it's got them, something attacks it. And it, it's all, it all happens very fast. And that captain or that, that, that battle sergeant, he comes up and he comes out there. There's also an indication that the rest of his unit shows up on those other plinths. There are little flashes of light. And unless you slow it down, you're not going to be able to see. Those are actually space marine figures also coming there on, in, in the distance. Yeah. So he's not alone. Right. What I thought was most what I thought was most telling when he took his helmet off that cap, I'm sorry, that, uh, the, the kill team leader, he is a, um, he has 200 years of service because he's got the two silver and the one gold stud above his eye, which denotes his years of service. So all of that was in there. The other thing is it looks like that this is a chapter that was taught, spoke about in another book. And this chapter seems to be seconded to the inquisition. Mm. And that's why they were there. And so this guy was, and one of the things, you know, it doesn't matter if I like you, Tim, you're a great guy, but if it looks like 
a demon is getting ready to come through you, we've got to put that to an end. So, Carlo, you punch him while I shoot him. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what happened. Whatever's getting ready to come out of this guy is not good. Not going to be good. <laughs> it's not good. And so that's one of the things. Um, it looks like they have been hunting down the la- this uh, this Space Marine chapter or this this uh, this unit of Space Marines have been hunting down these worshippers of the Uvoth. And the Uvoth were enslavers, so one Uvoth could enslave an entire population because it could control all of their minds. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, so there was, there was a lot of stuff in there in the lore. Here's the thing that I, I still can't understand. At the end, it goes off. And then there is a flash of, I believe, six to seven different chapters. All of their faces are, all of them, um, like their helmets are flashed on the screen super hyper fast. And the last one is um, a a chapter that is in uh, another video game. I think, you know, because they shut him down. At the end of episode four, uh, they shut them down. And there was this whole campaign of people supporting him getting, uh, what's his name, uh, Games Workshop, because they locked his channel down oh, to unlock it. Hmm. And they, they unlocked it and they let it happen. Hmm. So now, I do want to say, I had seen the Sardis coming up there, but I hadn't actually watched it. And I was fortunate enough to watch all five episodes. Now, I have watched it at least 70 times all five episodes at the same time. Before that, it was Hell's Reach. Oh, that's the one um, you mentioned before, right. Right, it was Hell's Reach. And one of the things about Hell's Reach that I like, um, I like the way the artwork in that kind of progressed. And, you know, I like the fiery speeches that uh, Helbert gave. Not Helbert. Who's the chaplain of the Black Templars? Yeah, Helbert, yeah. No, Helbert's the chapter master. Oh, Grimaldus. Um, Grimaldus is the, the chaplain. And, you know, all of this stuff goes on on Hell's Reach, all of these things. They show us Titans, they show us Imperial Guards, and they show us how they all interact together. And in the end, I think Grimaldus is the only uh, Black Templar that made it off of Hell's Reach. And so I did like that overall storytelling. But what I liked about that, this is Hell's Reach I'm talking about. I like the way it showed me Imperial Guard, Imperial Navy, Inquisition, commas, all working together and the way they orchestrated the campaign. I was like, oh, that's how it works, where they're talking about millions of people just in terms of numbers. Oh, at the end of this, disease will set in, and then we'll lose another 3%, and then starvation, and then there'll be some insurrection. We'll have to put that down. So we're estimated in the first two weeks we'll lose 4% of the population. (laughs) And they're like, oh, okay, good. Some real hard hard numbers there, hard numbers, yeah. (laughs) Right, so that that was really good. Uh, Let me just talk about one scene to me that was the epitome of the Astartes. When that one guy goes to the corner, this is a space marine, he's shooting down the corner, and then he goes around the corner for uh, cover, and he's shooting down the corner. And the one guy is running up, and he just sticks his knife out. Do you remember that? Yeah, (laughs) let's just take care of this. I knew you were coming. So yeah, it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, there's some nice moments in there. Um, as I was watching that one, which which I do recommend, I do recommend Astartes. Um, Lavelle is recommending Hell's Reach. I found another one that I hadn't heard of before called Death of Hope, which is a Horus Heresy era fan animated video. This one is 21 minutes long. And 
<laughs> there's a there's a lot of dialogue in this one, which is a little bit of a turnoff for me. But the way that this artist animator had visualized grim darkness is really it's really pretty special. It's really haunting in some scenes. It is downright gross in a couple of scenes. There are scenes of um, there's like a world eater uh, battle pit where they're you know that's like a sparring cage where they're fighting each other for fun you know, and the the scarification and the you know the appearance of the black carapace kind of piercing through the skin in certain spots and just the the uh, the abuse that a body has to go through to, to become Adeptus Astartes is really visualized really well, I think, in this video. It's, it's really gross. There's another scene where this woman is cradling what you, cradling what you think is a baby. She's in captivity behind this kind of uh, force field, of, you know, this field of distortion that's keeping her in this cell. And then the camera moves inside the cell and you see how her skin had been disfigured. Clearly this ship has been through the warp and back with the Geller fields down because her skin is so grossly disfigured. Her hands are around this baby. Her hands are actually built into the body of the baby at this point that she's trying to resuscitate through, you know, cuddling. It's really, really gross in some spots. That's so weird. It is so intense. Uh. <laughs> um, it's I, I can't, it's, it's a hard watch, honestly, which is kind of good. What's it for, called? It's called uh, Death of Hope. You should definitely watch it. it is, and there's the kind of the hero, if there is one in this, is an ultramarines captain who's in a cell next to an ultramarines scout. And the, it's really worth watching just for how he has visualized the armor of this ultramarines captain alone. It is uh, really a very intense um, 3D modeling job he's done to, to breathe this into life. There are some scenes that are like, like the camera is just sitting on somebody standing there looking intense for like a little bit too long. You know, the, the, this, whoever created this, you know, kudos for putting this much effort into making something that's wonderful. Um, you know, th but this person, you know, is not a director, not a, not an editor. There's some, you know, there's some flaws here, but it is really, it is, it is a uh, kudos worthy work, even if the dialogue is a little, uh, um, off-putting to to me but the uh the visualization of the grim darkness in the uh the near future of, of 30k is all here there's like half a body of an ultramarines space marine suspended by hooks on the wall of this sparring chamber and he's still alive like pinned to the wall with like his lower extremities basically cut off and like his guts hanging out it's like really hard to hard to see but it's intensely well rendered and it looks it looks really intense uh, <laughs> so you know it, you said earlier you were you weren't looking forward to Eisenhorn. I feel like because um, that's the the live action Inquisitor one that they're supposed to be coming out with. Yeah, I feel like if they can give us something like um, uh, altered carbon, and they, I, I feel like they can give us a decent depiction of an Inquisitor. Sure. Here's here's my concern, Lavelle. Right, um, and this is why this is my understanding of why Games Workshop has never done this before. It takes Alter Carbon is a really great uh, bringing to life of that story, right? I think Alter Carbon is a, it's a really great series. I loved the first season. Um, the the time and production muscle it takes to put a show together that looks that good, I think, is something completely foreign to Games Workshop. Despite the fact that they have this new Warhammer. Um, whatever they're calling the studio that's putting together all these animations. And I like Andy Smiley, you know, he's, he's a good writer. He's a, he's an interesting fellow. Right. But I don't think I'm afraid that as, as, as well off as 
well as Games Workshop does, I don't think that they're in a position to put the resources into a project that should be of that big a scope, that they can do it without that production partner that they've always said no to, right? They've always said no to licensing their IP to another company to make a, a movie or a cartoon series because, you know, they're protecting their IP. Obviously, they want to keep the toy rights. They want to keep the, uh, the plastic rights because that's their bread and butter business. But I don't think they have the experience or the the will, and I might be proven wrong, and I would be glad to be proven wrong, right? I would love to see somebody make a, you know, uh, like a, a, you know, Blade Runner styled, altered carbon styled take on what it would be like to be in a hive world. You know, I think that would be awesome. But the muscle and the experience and the forces that have to go behind a production that good, that intensely realized, I'm just afraid it's going to come out looking like good fan fiction but like legal licensed fan fiction nonetheless yeah i'm worried that the dialogue is gonna be like cheesy that's like that's my main concern like i feel like you could do it low budget but if the dialogue's bad it's just gonna make it even worse they need like an they need like hbo to do it i know they have what amazon doing it right so I feel like with Amazon, they should have the money, but I feel like they need the HBO style more for something like that. I don't know. Although Netflix did really well, like you said, with Altered Carbon. So Amazon could do well. But Well, here I thought we stopped talking about the death of hope. <laughs> <laughs> but there it is. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I'm not so excited. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking, yeah, that's a good point. I would love for it to work. You know, I'm, I'm equally, you know, not to go on too big of a tangent, right? I'm equally hopeful, but equally skeptical of the new version of Dune that apparently is under production, right? I love his work. Um, uh, what's his name? We did the most recent uh, Blade Runner bits. Um, uh, what's his Guillermo. That guy. No. Uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> uh, Duvain, uh, he's got a French name, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, uh, Villeneuve. Uh, uh, shit, what's his name? Um, yeah, that's it. That's close enough. Villeneuve. I got to look it up. Hang on, hang on. Sorry. Do, 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 do. Oh, yeah, Dennis Villeneuve. Yeah. Um, so he's, a, a, I, th- I, I believe I have this right, that he is rumored slash contracted to recreate uh, the yep. franchise as a major motion picture. Um, his ability to visualize the far future, I think, is really well suited to tell the Dune story. Love the Dune story. Read the books a bunch of times. All about it. Hope it's good. But... <laughs> but <laughs> Listeners can't see Tim's face. But... <laughs> but it could go south really quickly, right? Especially it's such a well-known IP. It's, well, maybe Dune isn't that, as well-known as I think it is, but I don't know. It is. It's pretty well-known. I'm pretty well-known. Yeah, yeah I'm, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic for what that's going to be. Yeah, we'll see. I hope I hope it's great. But in the, in the same way that I hope Inquisitor or uh, Eisenhorn is great. But I, I just, I can't see it working out that well. I mean, like, are there any shows you can think of off the top of your head from Amazon Studios that, are really, really, really popular. I mean, the Expanse. The Expanse. Which I really enjoyed that show, but also that show is very, very cheesy. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I couldn't you know get. I, I couldn't get through the first two episodes of that show. I gotta say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's his name? It's like kind of like a a uh, noir kind of a thing with the the Punisher. What's his name? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I couldn't. I just couldn't get into the expanse. I, it just it bothered me that like everybody in the first episode is like extremely beautiful. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> that's <laughs> like, how we all are in the future. There's no there's there's no like okay looking people in the future. You know, so, <laughs> not at all. They weed us out. <laughs> it was like it was like supermodels making love in zero gravity for like most of the first episode, and I just couldn't hang. <laughs> <laughs> how could this be? It just wasn't just wasn't for me. Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, for me. <laughs> I guess I've heard that man in the high castle is pretty popular and that's the same guy who's making the eisenhorn thing but i haven't actually uh, watched it, it. yeah uh, the first that. two seasons of men in the high castle was good the third season all of the reviews say it suck all the people that watched it with me i haven't even been able to bring myself to get back to it mm. yeah i missed i missed that entirely yeah, yeah. i missed that one yeah well, let's remain hopefully optimistic, but we'll see uh, how it turns out. We'll always have our Black Library stories to keep us warm and cozy at night, should the visualizations of these stories be failures. Someone should do like a, I feel like now's the perfect time for someone to do like a Warhammer puppet show, you know? Like some, <laughs> yes. you get some views that like a Stingray and Captain Scarlet. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, one of my favorite Black, Black Library books is... Um, Titanicus, Dan Abnett's Titanicus novel. I haven't read that yet. That I know is it. that is the movie script right there. Start to finish, that book is a movie. Like it is it has small moments, it has huge moments, it has a clear uh, you know, first, second, and third act. It is a clear progression, as a lot of his work is. You know, he that, that, that you know, he knows how to craft a narrative. Titanicus is the book that they should make. I'm just saying. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll come back and wrap up this episode. Stay with us. Welcome back, Section 5, The Chosen. We're going to wrap up this episode with the stuff we found related to the hobby that we think is awesome, that our listeners might like to know about and agree that is awesome. My pick of the episode, my thing for The Chosen, has been the Black Library audio app. So as I've been building my orcs downstairs in the kitchen, I've been using the Black Library audio app to buy the books that they're releasing every week that are only a dollar. I bought the Age of Sigmar book soul wars which is 31 and a half hours long for 99 cents hell yeah i bought that book and it's pretty good it always bothers me when voiceover actors like get a little bit too into the other character voices we've talked about this before right like the the big burly englishman doing the female voices is kind of like really i like that yeah i, I know, like yeah, that yeah. yeah i don't know <laughs> i don't know no, i'm on the I fence like, i'm on the fence i like when the 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 uh off like the audiobook narrator does the girly voice rather than they actually bring in like a audio drama right so you so you prefer the books as opposed to the drama yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, this one the story here is awesome it's a really good intro i've never read a uh, well this is no that's not true i've read a few um age of sigmar novels but this is a great like first age of sigmar novel to read because it starts with uh nagash and his whole death story and then takes us to why the stormcasts are what they are it kind of introduces the whole age of sigmar world versus the warhammer fantasy battle world the old world as they call it in uh, age of sigmar it's a really good uh, intro novel to the whole milieu that is age of sigmar um good characters interesting um pace is really nice i'm like five or six hours into it already and 
It's great. And for a dollar, why wouldn't I, right? It's just this, the file that it downloaded automatically was not super huge. The app is easy to use. It uh, syncs up with my Bluetooth headset as I'm sitting at the kitchen counter painting stuff. So that's my pick of the episode, Soul Wars, the audiobook. And this week, um, the dollar book, which might not be on sale anymore by the time I push this episode out tomorrow, but there's a uh, Warhammer story collection called Crusade that's uh, pretty long. It's 20 some odd hours of stuff that's also a dollar. So I think Black Library is doing like a new dollar book every week while we're on quarantine here. So do check those out if you're into the uh, Black Library audiobooks and uh, want to keep up with the uh, with the narrative. Carla, what do you got for us? I got nothing. I haven't been doing anything 40k related. So. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much it. Other than Tabletop Simulator, which we've been talking about. Awesome. And. Uh, I've been playing a few video games that are not 40k related. What are you playing? Playing uh, Stardew Valley now. Have you oh. played that? I, you know what? I, I was just reading about that because I was tempted to get um, um, uh, Animal Crossing. But Stardew, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stardew Valley, I think, kind of scratches a similar itch, right? Where it's just kind of calming and like... Um, a lot of people say that, but the way that I play video games, I've found a way to make it very stressful. So. <laughs> 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 do, you, do you do you recommend it is it good yeah it's a great game i i don't normally like like uh farming games i've never played one before but um it's one of those games where it's the instant gratification is overwhelming and just keeps you playing it hmm. hours upon hours on your days off so nice <laughs> maybe i'll give that a shot before i buy um Animal Crossing, because Animal Crossing is a lot more expensive than Stardew Valley. Oh, yeah. I think Stardew is like, what, 10 bucks right yeah. now or something? Yeah, it's really yeah. cheap right now. Yeah, It's worth it to try it out. Thanks for joining us here on episode 32 of Cruise Shake, and we'll be back real soon with another quarantine-laden episode. For Cruise Shake and I have been Tim. I'm LaValle. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you soon. <laughs>